630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. In front of the net. Now he will. Scores. Scores. The Oilers score right at the buzzer. The buzzer beater for the win in Winnipeg after letting a one-goal lead slip away in the final six and a half minutes. The Oilers recover from a one-goal deficit to get the regulation time victory. They are three and four on the season. They'll try to even it up tomorrow when they take on the Jets again. So a historic goal last night by Leon Dreisaitl. It's the latest game winner ever scored in regulation time by a member of the Edmonton Oilers on only three occasions in the history of the franchise, including last night, have the Oilers scored a game-winning goal in the final five seconds of regulation. The first time was December 20th, 1980. The game was tied 3-3 between the Oilers and the Canadians at Northlands Coliseum. Dave Hunter scored with two seconds left on the clock. In those days, there was no overtime, so the game was about to end in a tie. A point for each team. Hunter scores. Oilers win it 4-3. Random tidbit of the night. I was at that game as a young six-year-old from Evansburg. I think we were in Evansburg there. We lived in Alder Flats when I was a kid, too. So that's a, a little extra tidbit for you there. Then on January 28, 1985, Mike Krushelniski, who we had on the face-off show last week, scored at 19.58. Two seconds left in the third period for a 4-3 win versus Calgary. And similar to last night, in both of those games, the Oilers had trailed 3-2 and tied it relatively late in the third period. Against Montreal, Mark Messier had scored with 5.03 remaining to tie it up at 3 and in the game against Calgary, Paul Coffey scored with a minute 20 left. So in that game against Calgary, the Oilers were down 3-2 with a minute 21 to go. Coffey scored to tie it at 18:40. Crucial Niski won it at 19:58. Both of those games were in Edmonton. So that's the first time last night that they've scored in the last five seconds of regulation time to win on the road. It's only happened three times since they joined the NHL. And of course, last night, Yamamoto tied it at 16.55. Dreisaitl's goal officially recorded at 19.59. If you watch the highlights, you saw it cross the line at about 0.6.7 left on the clock. So that was a fun one last night. Uh, a very dramatic victory, a lot to discuss from that game, which we will get into as we move along on the show tonight. What was it like? You know, you, you heard from Dreisaitl and uh, you heard from Pugliarvi last night on overtime open line. What about for the guys on the bench? Dominic Cahoon spoke after practice today, and I said, okay, so you're watching that play and you're watching the clock. What are you thinking? I'm um, actually like, so we were obviously like looking at the clock. It wasn't much time left, but uh, well. Personally, when I saw Connor having the puck, you know, something always happens with that. So I was pretty sure we will get a chance again. And um, yeah, um, Leon had a, had a good shot there, but it was a great play by Connor. McDavid actually lost the puck for a split second. <laughs> he caught it back and sent her to Dreisaitl, who banged in the one-timer. 
That way it was it was an entertaining game, and I, I think there were some pretty big shifts in momentum the, as the first period went on. The the Jets were definitely the better team. Do I think the Oilers got a bit of a break on the goaltender interference? I do, though. If you look at the actual letter of the law, I think the right call was made. So the Oilers are down one nothing after the first period. They were outplayed. Second period was their best period of the year. I, I mean, they actually hemmed in the Jets. They outshot Winnipeg 19-6. They got a couple of goals. Nugent Hopkins scored early after Pugliarvi stormed to the net. Turris finally sniped one, and Edmonton was in control going to the third. But then Winnipeg gets two goals in a minute 13, including a power play goal where Wheeler's trying to center it and Chris Russell's down to take away the pass and it goes in off his shin pad. And uh-oh, all of a sudden Edmonton is down, but they come back with the two late ones to get the win. And Dave Tippett today talked about the emotional swings of last night's game. Can't get too high, not too low, you know. We thought, I mean, I, I didn't think we played very well in the first period. We had some chances still, but didn't play very well. Uh, second and third were... Uh, were good periods for us. We thought we deserved uh, a better fate than than we were getting, and then you know we get the we get a big third goal, and then uh, you know the, I give Jesse Pugliarvi a lot of credit. He he goes to the net hard. If he doesn't go to the net hard, he doesn't draw that penalty to give us the opportunity to uh, power play for the last two minutes. So um, there's some things that were done well, and uh, we capitalized on the chance and. It's uh, that's what the game's about right now. It seems like the games are close, where a mistake here or there, or capitalizing on a chance, dictates the un- outcome, and that's where we were last night. It, that was certainly a rare result for a game to finish that way. But it's a shortened season. They're only playing two-thirds of the games they usually would, so points are going to be at even more of a premium. So many back-to-backs where you're playing the same team. If you can get the odd sweep here or there and avoid being swept, that's going to help. And winning close games, even if you steal a couple along the way, that could be the difference between being in the playoffs or out. And I don't think, I, I remember a, f- a few years ago, I, I got following somebody who was writing some analytical stuff about the National Hockey League, and they were arguing arguing that one-goal games often just comes down to luck. That, you know, if you really can't separate teams, that if you're winning a lot of games by one goal, maybe maybe you're actually not that good. I get that to an extent, certainly in hockey, perhaps more than any other sport. There are there are bounces, there are penalty calls, there are unusual plays that could dictate the outcome of a game. Did, did the Oilers uh, get a bounce or two when they beat Toronto a few days ago? Sure. But I also think winning close games is a skill. I don't think it just always comes down to bounces or getting a break here or there. I think there's a skill to winning close games. And I think a large part of it is between the years. When you're in a close game, can you stay calm? Can you not be the team that makes a big mistake to give the game away? I think that's really important to remember. And then the other side of that is when there's a chance to make a play do you have the game breakers and the skill guys to make a play? And as much as we talk about perhaps the Oilers lacking some depth, they have some high-end players who can make plays in close games to swing it in the Oilers' favor, and that's what happened on the buzzer beater last night. So I, so I still think you give full marks to the Oilers for the win. Yessi Pugliarvi, a big storyline. He looked like an actual NHL player. Not only did he look like an NHL player, he was one of the best NHL players in that game. You saw him moving his feet. You saw him protecting the puck, and you saw him getting to the front of the net. He was involved around the net on the Nugent Hopkins goal. 
he gets he draws a penalty in front of the net that sets up that late power play that helps the Oilers win the game. He's in front of the net when Dreisaitl one times at home. He's driving to that early in the second period, and he and Nuge are going after that rebound that tied the game at one. That was a really good game by Pugliarvi, and he's talked about it. His coaches have talked about it. We've talked about it. Playing a North American game, being strong along the boards, protecting the puck, and not playing on the perimeter, getting to the front of the net. Todd McClellan used to call it getting into the guts of the game. And if you go into the guts of the game, well, you might get a little messy sometimes, but that's where you find the good stuff. And I thought Pugliarvi did that, and I thought that was a big step for him last night. He's been pretty good overall this season. I, I, I think he's he made some nervous plays earlier in the year, and I'm sure we're still going to see that at times. There's no doubt he wants to do well. But I thought better finesse last night, knowing when to finesse, when to use power. And he helped He helped last night. I thought he was one of the best Oilers on the ice yesterday. All right, 614. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Double E Radio. 6.30, Chad. Of course, the Oilers are back at it tomorrow with another one against the Jets. You can get it right here. The face-off show will be at 4.30. The puck will drop at 6. Another significant, significant story today. And it started kind of leaking out this morning. And then, indeed, the rumors were true. The double-E football team no longer has a head coach. Scott Milanovic resigns to to pursue an opportunity in the National Football League. Milanovic never coached a game in Edmonton. He was hired before last season. There was no last season because of the pandemic. And now he decides he's going to go to the NFL. So obviously not great. Now the team's looking for a new coach. I, I think there is a lot of optimism about Milanovic, pretty successful coach, both as an assistant and a coordinator and as a head coach throughout his CFL career, experience in the NFL with the Jaguars in 17, 18, and 19. He got out of there, and uh, and now he had come to Edmonton. And, uh, you know, a lot of hope on him working with Trevor Harris, taking the reins of the offense away from the previous head coach, Jason Moss, who I think knows the offense and I think devised some very good game plans over the years. I think Moss's problem was that he wasn't able to always adjust when games game plans weren't working, so that maybe Milanovic was going to bring a new element to the team. He's gone. He is gone. So now they look. So Brock Sunderland will have to look. We had a special show today from 2 to 3, hosted by Dave Campbell and Morley Scott. Brock Sunderland joined those two gentlemen, and he's talked about the timing of the Milanovic announcement. Well, it's certainly not ideal timing, but it's also not March or April or May. So we do have time to get a head coach in place, get on the same page with all the staff. And, you know, if if there's going to be a restructuring of schemes and all those things that cascade down from that, we have enough time. And, you know, it is what it is. And there's been other scenarios where things like this happen, maybe not exactly this time. But, you know, ironically, in Indianapolis, they offer Josh McDaniels. He backs out. They go with Frank Reich. And it turns out extremely well. so, you know, again, we're not going to focus on Scott not being here or the timing. We're going to focus on getting the right person in place and continuing to work on the goal of winning a, a great cup. All right. So they got a look. Sunderland also commented on the focus of the coaching search. We're going to do our best to find the right person and 
you know, not by a certain time frame, and it may be a wide net. Here's what I'll say is that we're going to do everything we can to find the right person for this organization at this time. And um, there may be some prerequisites. Certainly, it's going to be someone that has CFL experience and knowledge. Uh, right now, I wouldn't go out and hire someone that's never coached in our league at any level. Now, does that mean that they have to have been a previous head coach or coordinator? No, it doesn't. But I certainly want someone that understands the three-down game and the complexities of all that goes into our league. It would be very hard to bring someone in, in my opinion, that's always been south of the border and only worked at the NCAA or NFL level. So, you know, that being said, that'll be the, the net we have as people with good knowledge of the CFL. And from there, um, just making sure that we look under every rock to make sure we're doing our due diligence and not making knee-jerk reactions and, and being reactionary to this scenario. Three names come to mind immediately for me. Well, yeah, three names. Well, one of them sort of came up sort of in an odd way today. We'll discuss candidates for the next head coach of the double E football team. Jack Michaels is going to check in as well. It's 618 Inside Sports on Chet. the buzzer beater himself Oilers and Jets back at it tomorrow more on the Oilers coming up after the 630 news Jack Michaels is going to hop on the show called the game on Sportsnet last night and you will still hear him on occasion calling the games on the radio on 630 Chet and the Oilers radio network okay so the double E football team looking for a new head coach Scott Milanovic resigning today now here's here's the thing Marcus Brady is the offensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts. He worked with Milanovic in Montreal from 09 to 2011. And uh, he is now the Colts offensive coordinator. So Milanovic expected to become the Colts quarterback coach, a title he held with the Jaguars from 2017 to 2019. So what's next for the double E? Well, three names pop to mind. First of all, Noel Thorpe. Noel Thorpe is currently... Edmonton's defensive coordinator. He uh, was here in the past from 08 to 2010. He was special teams coordinator, defensive backs coach. He was also assistant head coach. He's uh, he's coached in, in CIS or U Sports, as it's called now. He's been with the Alouettes. He's been with the Ottawa Red Blocks. He's got a lot of experience. He's been in the CFL, uh, well, about 18 years, because he went back to U-Sports for a couple of years along the way. And he's currently within the organization, and he knows the game and all that fun stuff. Okay, so keep that name in mind. What about the name Mark Killam? He's the special teams coordinator and assistant head coach for the Calgary Stampeders, where he has been for 15 seasons, a decade as, as their special teams coordinator. And the Stamps have usually had very good special teams. For those of you trying to place Mark Killam, he's the guy with the hair that they always show on the sidelines. So keep that name in mind. The other thing, the other human being, the other possible head coach, do you remember a gentleman by the name of Chris Jones? I'm sure you do. I do. Kendall. Chris Jones, of course, 
left the double E after coaching them to the Grey Cup in 2015. We knew it was happening the week of the Grey Cup that he was going to go to Saskatchewan and take over and that Jason Moss, who was the offensive coordinator for Ottawa, the team Edmonton was playing in the Grey Cup, was likely coming here. We knew that before the game was even played. So he left. He went to Saskatchewan. Pretty good there. Didn't win a championship. And now he's uh, he's been with the Cleveland Browns. This is really interesting. Chris Jones has a Twitter account. Doesn't have a lot of followers, considering he's a pro football coach. Has about 3,100 followers. Does not tweet a lot. As a matter of fact, I'm now going to count his tweets since he first tweeted on November 30th, 2015. He has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 12, 13, 14 tweets, and a couple of retweets of other people's accounts. So he doesn't tweet a lot. He's been a little more active lately. He's uh, pretty much, uh, well, about a quarter of his tweets are from this year because he tweeted a few times on January 20th, and he tweeted today. First of all, Somebody who uh, is, is, is some sort of a scouting person, I don't even know who this is, tweeted at Chris Jones to at Edmonton football team, anybody? Chris Jones retweeted that. And then Chris Jones tweeted a photo of himself with the Grey Cup on the plane coming home from Winnipeg after the game in 2014, and it says at Edmonton football team would love the opportunity to win another one. Hashtag Grey Cup 2021. Now, there's a couple ways you could read that. Is Chris Jones just saying, well, the Edmonton football team would love the opportunity to win another one of these. I just happen to have a photo of the last time they won it. I was the coach. Or is he saying, hey, Edmonton football team, look at me. I could be your coach and we could do this again. Is that how he is applying for the job? Not so subtly. What would you think of Chris Jones coming back? Did well here. Don't think he had a... Well, I know he didn't have a great relationship with Ed Hervey. Hence, that that's a big reason why he left for Saskatchewan to take over there. So here's an ongoing storyline for the team without a name. Now also the team without a coach. They're going to get a new name probably in a couple of months. I would imagine they'll have a new coach sooner than that. If you want to get in touch, the number, by the way, is 780-496-0063. Jack Michaels coming up after the news and weather. Dry subtle and so strong, giving it up for McDavid. Heading for the net, centered, and Yamamoto has tied the game. Right on the doorstep, we are three all. Nugent Hopkins, wrist shot, just missed top corner. Rebound to McDavid, six seconds to go. Durst, McDavid, waiting, centering. No, it went off the shaft because of a stick that threw it in front and at the buzzer. Leon Dry puts Edmonton on top four. Are gonna win this hockey game. 
Oh, there is a voice I know well. Some audio courtesy our friends at Rogers Sportsnet. We played the radio call off the top of the show. There is the television call of the Oilers' comeback and buzzer beater last night, the 4-3 victory over the Winnipeg Jets. My good friend Jack Michaels calling the game on the tube last night. Jack, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, sir? Good, Reed. How are you? High drama last night for Edmonton and a much-needed victory, you know, in Game 7. I I think it's a, you know, big conversation difference we're having tonight if the Oilers are 2-5 and and they were three minutes away from doing it. And uh, for the first time since the days of Anson Carter and Doug Waite, they were able to turn a one-goal deficit into a one-goal victory uh, in regulation, that's what was so damaging from Winnipeg's point of view and really exhilarating from Edmonton because they really stick it to Winnipeg by not even giving him a point. Now, Jack, before we talk hockey, I do believe there's something very important I have to deal with here. Do I not uh, have that? to wish you, I believe it is slightly belated, but I do believe uh, wishing you a happy birthday is in order. Oh, thanks. Yes, it is a little belated. It was over the weekend, but I appreciate it nonetheless. All right. Well, 35, I hope it treats you well. You've already accomplished a lot in your life, so that's uh, that's really good. Uh, tell me, did, did you get anything interesting for your birthday, first of all? Any interesting gifts or stuff? I got a card from your parents. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> You set that up. You were the trigger man. No, you know, I was. I, I was not the trigger man. You more about asking for my uh, address. For some reason, I really didn't put two and two together as to what you'd be up to with that request. But, but obviously, this, uh, your parents had a good idea. This was not my idea. This was their idea. They said we're no, going to send Jack a birthday idea, card. But you yeah. were in on it. Oh, I was in on it. They said, "Can you get Jack's?" Uh, mailing address but my mom was very much thinking okay i gotta do it sort of surreptitiously she goes how can you come up with an excuse where you need to get his address and i was like i don't know i'm just gonna ask jack for his address she's like, well she's like, what if he knows something is up i'm like i don't think you'll really care or think about it so that's why i was just like hey buddy and what's you, your address you on my thoughtlessness and you were rewarded for it <laughs> yes exactly so if, if you haven't been listening to jack's recent appearances he started calling my father malcolm and my father's name is, of course, Bob. And he started calling my mother Judy. And my mother's name is Louise. So they sent Jack a birthday card from uh, Malcolm and Judy Wilkins rather than, than Bob and Louise Wilkins. So I'm glad that... And then did you add additional comments on the card or was that them too? Uh, they a whole bunch of stuff on the card. I did not write in the card at all. I may have provided some names of Cleveland Browns players to name the yeah. animals that were drawn in the card. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, no, it was a real interesting Wilkins collab. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's a term the youngins use these days. <laughs> oh, oh, is it really? A collab? Yeah, you've got hurt. Well, it's everything's an abbreviation, so instead of collaboration, everyone's got a collab going now. I'm not around young people. I don't have kids. Like, you're the youngest person I'm ever around. Well, that is true. You, you live an interesting life and have for some time, as a matter of fact. Yes, I'm around my, my mom and dad a lot, so that's uh, no no kids for me. Even my dog is a senior citizen at this point. All right, so first of all, I hope you had a great birthday. Uh, tell, be, tell me about and explain to everybody again where you are calling when you do television, where you are calling the Oilers 
road games from? Because a lot of people have asked me, you know, what's Jack going to do? What are he and Louie doing or Cam and Bob or whatever? So give me the setup when the Oilers are away. Well, I'm I'm one level below where we do the home games from this year on 630 Chad and the Oilers Radio Network. So that's Loge level. Actually, I, I suppose it's two levels, technically the third floor as opposed to the fifth. But that's that's the situation. And it's just basically Louie Louis and I and three production people. And I believe there's probably a Rogers Place security guard or two in the building. So maybe uh, seven people are in the building when we do these road games, and that'll be the scenario again tomorrow night when I go in. So it's, uh, you know, it's very bizarre. I mean, I'm I'm never going to get used to it. I'm never going to get used to, you know, not being at the rink today for practice and kind of being able to describe what's going on in or around the team and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and you lose stuff. I mean, uh, you know, we're on a one-second delay, so – you know, people are seeing it before I can call it because it's, you know, a feed coming from Toronto. So, you know, there's just some inher- inherent complications with it. We try to we try to do it the absolute, you know, best we can. But it's a, it's a situation that's facing everyone this year. And, and really, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Reed, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, uh, I'm just thrilled to be back working and, and uh, you know, having a chance to, you know, do both television and radio this year is fantastic. So, uh, and obviously when you get a result like last night's, uh, it's all the more exciting to kind of get back into it. The only, you know, the only negative is, is again, you can't really share it it with the fans, either the, you know, certainly exultation that would have been uh, on display if we were in Rogers place or uh, just the total devastation that uh, I would have had the glee of experiencing had there been fans at, uh, at Bell MTS place. So it's, it's not the same atmosphere, but you know what? Hockey's back. It's great to be calling hockey again. And it's great to have sports to talk about. I just, you know, you'll, you'll never get used to the, the lack of fans. That's a tough scenario for me. Jack Michaels joining us then at Inside Sports. Okay, so to the action on the ice. You mentioned the drama at the end of the game. How, I mean, look, we've been talking a lot about Jesse Pugliarvi. He got promoted into the lineup. And we discussed yesterday on our face-off show, was it a promotion as much as perhaps a Cassian demotion because he didn't grab it? That's fair depending on how you want to look at it. But the encouraging thing is Pugliarvi, grab the opportunity and i could just feel the hope level in oil country going out throughout that game because he he didn't just make the most of it he knocked it out of the park well and and you could actually you know if you're paying close attention you could see kind of the excitement radiating from from his face i mean he was he was thrilled to get a shot He's thrilled that, you know, some of the hard work he's put in is is now being rewarded with a little extra ice time. And quite frankly, last night I felt like he uh, triggered the Big David line much as Yamamoto so often triggers the dry settle line. I thought Pugliarvi kind of elevated the energy level on that line, starting with the very first shift of the second period. I mean, people kind of forget McDavid lost the faceoff. And, you know, that quote-unquote power play, you know, seemingly was kind of by the boards and, and similar to the, you know, game winning goal. It didn't count as a power play goal, but 
the goal was triggered by Pooley-Arby's work along the boards at even strength, taking it to the hole and eventually being right there when Nugent Hopkins ultimately knocked it in. And Pooley-Arby almost seemed like he propelled Nugent Hopkins' stick forward, uh, you know, on that finish to get the game tied and really triggered what I thought was by far uh, the best period that Edmonton has played since pre-COVID. I, I thought that second period against Winnipeg, if Dave Tippett's going to draw it up on a nightly basis, that's exactly as how he would see it. All the loose pucks that Edmonton had consistently getting beat to uh, in, in the first period against Winnipeg, they won all those battles and more in the second period. And ultimately, I felt deserved the result. It's not what I anticipated. And, you know, I got a chance to listen to the overtime open line, and, and you said it. I mean, what a crazy six minutes but ultimately I feel like the score ended as it should have I thought Edmonton had the better goaltender and ultimately I thought the Oilers had more meaningful dominant minutes in that game than Winnipeg did well this yeah the second period was front to back I I think the first period Winnipeg was better but it was probably the last two-thirds of the period but the, the second period was it was all Oilers and I was saying in the first half hour of the show Jack I mean, whatever. You can say the Oilers stole it. You can say it was an unlikely win. You can say maybe it's never going to happen again. I mean, it had never happened before that they'd scored a goal that late to win. 56 games, you might have to win three or four that could have gone either way or that might be classified as flat-out thefts. I, I don't classify that one as a theft, but I do well, classify it as maybe an unlikely result. That, right. for me, is the big thing, is it came in regulation. I mean, that's a point that Winnipeg may very well look back upon as, as one that gets away. I mean, that that's the killer from a Winnipeg standpoint. You lose with one second to go in overtime, well, you get a point, you know, and who's to say you would have won the shootout? I, you know, I'm sure Winnipeg's not necessarily thinking they were generally the favorites going into overtime, but at least they would have gotten a point. That's the backbreaker for them. Uh, you can't, in this truncated season, it really magnifies – uh, the fact you let not only a one-goal lead get away with three minutes to go, but you don't have anything to show for it. It's the first time in more than 20 years it's happened for Edmonton, and it's uh, it's a backbreaker for Winnipeg. I, I'll be curious. I mean, uh, you talk to both players, and I heard you ask Rob Brown this last night, so I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment on that because he, he makes a good point. He goes, when you're a player, ultimately that's going to last until the first shift. I mean, if they the Jets get a good break tomorrow in the early going, well, then some of that momentum is is negated but I think it's a huge early boost for Edmonton and again because of the head-to-head nature of this division this year Reed think about it if Winnipeg wins last night then you've got a real first and second division established and what I mean by that is you know Winnipeg's got five wins Toronto's got five wins and Montreal's obviously off to the magnificent start Then you've got Edmonton residing with Vancouver and Ottawa and and Calgary kind of lurking somewhere in the middle. Now, you know, you've kind of squished those teams together. That's the... That's the magnitude of getting it done in regulation is you really reduce that separation. Yeah, that's that's a really good point because obviously a couple teams have got off to a really hot start. Jack, before I let you go, we always dive into a little bit of football. I know you were hoping your Browns would have been playing yesterday. Uh, the Bills made some noise uh, early. I, I didn't pay as much attention to that game because I was on air for part of it, but it, it looked like the Chiefs pulled away a little bit of nastiness near the end. And, uh, I mean, is it old man Brady does it again, or is it 
old man Brady uh, is the quarterback on a team whose defense is peaking at the right time? Well, I think Tom Brady did a nice job, but I, I think there was a subtle point that was missed by pretty much everyone on the on the telecast yesterday is ultimately when you start grouping players and you start talking about how guys are so great and what they've done, you know, this is where Aaron Rodgers falls a little bit short. He's now one and four in championship games. He had a path to the end zone, could have taken the right corner and, and didn't. He scored on a very similar play. Uh, one of our former colleagues would remember well when he when he danced into the end zone on the Packers' way to a win in Chicago in the 2010 NFC Championship game, and instead he throws in the triple coverage and and gives his coach a chance to make a bad decision, which he then did. But you know, Aaron Rodgers hasn't. Uh, you know, it shows you how hard it is to accomplish the things that the legends do. You know, uh, Tom Brady winning, you know, six championships, or Derek Jeter winning four World Series. I mean, it's hard to do it if it wasn't everyone would do it and Aaron Rodgers has the same amount of Super Bowls as Brett Favre does so anyone who wants to anoint Aaron Rodgers as the you know most underrated or the most underappreciated quarterback of this generation this is why he's not in that class is he didn't make the big play when his team needed and it seems like Tom Brady made it every time yes he got some help from his defense but he was the primary catalyst behind the Bucks building that 28-10 lead, and and for Aaron Rodgers and Donovan McNabb and a and a bunch of guys that that recently have been in the mix, for that matter, Philip Rivers, you know, there's a reason they're not in that class, and it's not, and it's because they don't win when it matters most. And Aaron Rodgers has all the talent in the world, but I just feel like when you look at the grand scheme of things, Tom Brady has come up bigger in bigger moments. Jack, it's hard to consistently be an excellent guest on Inside Sports, but you pull it off, and that's why you're one of the all-time greats, buddy. Thanks for checking I was in tonight. Fill that in with, I'll keep striving, Reed. I know I can find another level, and you, you know what? You I'm still can. To drag this show along with me as best I can. <laughs> there we go. Thanks for coming on, buddy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Oh, absolutely. And again, tell Phil and Apollonia I said hello. <laughs> there, there it is. More. More misnomers for my moment. Phil, was it Apollonia? Is that what he said? Well, that'd be quite the name. That would be quite the name. That is Jack Michaels. Always a blast to have him on the show. It is 648. You can reach out at 780-496-0063. Follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. Same spelling as Dominique, but unlike him, I can't dunk a basketball. The email is inside sports at 630ched.com. Back in a couple of minutes. Cassian on a line last night with Kyle Turris and, well, Tyler Ennis to start the game. Ennis did not play a lot and was uh, placed on waivers today, so we'll see what happens there. We'll see if he clears by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. I think this is uh, paving the way for Ennis to be placed on the taxi squad and Evan Bouchard to be activated and possibly play tomorrow. Maybe the Oilers go with 7D and 11 forwards in the rematch against the Jets. 4.30 face-off show. Game time is 6 right here on 6.30. Chad, the only game in the NHL tonight has not started.
It won't start until after the show is done. 8 o'clock Mountain Time, Senators at Canucks. Ottawa sitting with a record of 1-3-1. and one. The Canucks are 2-5. and five. Senators coming through the West. They're going to be in Edmonton on Sunday and then next Tuesday. Okay, so the Oilers practicing today in Winnipeg, hoping to build on that victory last night. It, uh, it looked like they had it, then they didn't have it, and then right at the end, they had it. Connor McDavid on staying composed after falling behind. It's big to win in regulation. Um, you know, all, all points are so valuable in a, in a shortened season like this. Um, you know, only playing against uh, your own division. So definitely a big win for us. Um, didn't like our first period. I thought our second period was great. With any luck, we could have uh, could have been up by a couple more. But, um, you know, they did a great job of hanging around and, and uh, found a way to get one late. And, and uh, their PP got them one. So, um, you know, they did a good, did a good job. But uh, I like the way we responded. To follow up on what Jack was talking about and something Rob and I discussed on Overtime Open Line, so what does this win mean going forward? Do you get momentum off it? Does it make you feel a little better for how long? Ten days? A week? Two days? And Rob said, okay, once the first shift of the next game starts, it's over. And yeah, probably game-to-game momentum. I don't know if you get a lot of that. What I hope a game like last night for the Oilers does is when they're in a situation, down a goal late, or they give up a couple of quick goals, they can say, we've dealt with this before, and we've dealt with it successfully. And we've won games where bad things have happened. Because I thought that in the summer series, the qualifying round against Chicago, and through the first six games of this season, there had been a pretty big letdown when they got scored on as, and as we saw against Vancouver and as we saw against Montreal, giving up goals, either in bad times in games, when you're on the power play late in the period, or after you've already allowed a goal or scored one yourself. And there was a bit of a letdown and I felt they were looking like a team that just couldn't deal with, with bad things happening. That if, if the other team got one, you could expect another one to go in pretty soon. And even though that happened last night in Winnipeg, the Oilers rebounded from it. So look, does, does winning a game like that mean that they're going to have a, a, a ton of energy in the first period tomorrow? I wouldn't guarantee that, but I hope that gets filed away into the experience bank and that collectively they're able to say, okay, down a goal, five minutes to go. Hey, we, this is what happened to us in Winnipeg, and we won that game. Now, obviously, that's not a great situation to be in. It's not easy, but if we're talking about stealing points or getting games to overtime, having that attitude and maybe a little bit of calmness being in those situations is going to help. An adjustment that was made during the game last night, Tyson Berry taken off the power play. That's why he was brought to Edmonton. For now, at least going by last night's information, he has lost that spot. Dave Tippett was asked today, will Darnell Nurse stay on the point on the power play? No, we'll still a little bit of each, but we're just, we were, we're trying to find some rhythm in it there. You know, we've, uh, it's been up and down a little bit, so we'll see. Um, you know, Nurse played there a lot when Clefbaum was hurt uh, a couple of years ago, so he has some experience there. Barry's still getting comfortable there, you know, so we'll we'll continue to tweak it a little bit. It gives it a different look, but uh, uh, different looks on it. But the one thing about Nurse is he's, he's comfortable in the way things have gone in the past there. You know, when Darnell Nurse had to fill in for Oscar Clefbaum on the power play in the past, he, he wasn't as good in his five-on-five play dropped off, but... 
in brief appearances this season, he's done better than Tyson Berry, who was brought in specifically to be a power play specialist. But Dave Tippett referenced on the weekend, maybe Evan Bouchard comes in as a seventh defenseman and plays on the power play as well. And that's a strength for him. And maybe he can do what Barry to this point hasn't been able to do. We got a break for the seven o'clock news and weather. We'll talk more about the EE coaching loss and those NFL conference championship games with our buddy Blake Dermott when we get back. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.